0: It's a real privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, I consider your pastor a very good friend. I appreciate his wisdom and uh, the fact that I can call him when I have a question and know that I'm going to hear someone that loves God and loves God's Word, and he's going to speak into my life. And I love my brother Adam, and I'm so grateful for the fact that you have welcomed him into this family, and I know that he's being ministered to, and I'm grateful to see him ministering as well. And so it's just a real joy for me to be with you this morning. I bring greetings from our church, Christ Fellowship Church in Williamsburg. We pray for you regularly. You're one of the churches that we often lift up before the Lord, asking that He would bless you, and we're grateful for the ways that He is doing that. I'd ask you, if you would, to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, and I'm going to read for us a portion of Scripture that we're going to be studying this morning. Matthew chapter 10. I'm going to read verse 26 to 33, and I would ask you if you're able to stand with me out of respect for God's word. Matthew chapter 10, verses 26 to 33. This is God's word. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows." So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. This is God's word for us this morning. Please be seated. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture that speaks to us about the reality that we have no need to fear those who would oppose us because we follow Jesus. It's a passage of scripture that speaks to us as human beings with real emotions, and it speaks to us about the fact that we serve a God who is glorious, who's worthy, who's good, who's completely trustworthy. And we need that because we understand from church history that persecution is a part of what it means to follow Jesus. So that's nothing new. When you hear about people suffering for the sake of following Jesus, that's not a new thing. That's something that has been around from the very beginning. The blood of the martyrs has always been the seed of the church. There was a a particular period of persecution in the second century. So, you know, a hundred years or so uh, after the time of the Lord Jesus and Paul uh, in the city. It's the city of Izmir, Turkey today. It was called Smyrna in uh, the book of Revelation. You're familiar with this city. A violent persecution broke out during some games, Roman games, you know, in the Colosseum kind of thing. And they decided it would be good to persecute Christians, and so they did that. They found Christians, they rounded them up from the church, and and they put them to death in various ways, often by using wild animals. And here's the problem. The problem for them is that the Christians showed such confidence in the face of death that they felt a little offended by it, and so they decided what they needed to do is they needed to kill the pastor, a man named Polycarp. And so they sent soldiers after Polycarp. He was the bishop. Of that church. He was the pastor. He was the leader of the church there. Uh, he was a faithful man. He was godly. He was consistent in the way that he lived. Uh, he spoke God's word powerfully. He preached the gospel clearly. He turned many away from a, a false teaching called Gnosticism with its wrong view of God. And Polycarp, when he realized that he was in danger, he did much like what you and I would do he ran. He tried to get to safety. He looked for a place to hide. That's understandable. He was able to hide for a time, but eventually the Roman soldiers, they caught up with him, and when he realized that they had captured him, he said, God's will be done. Now, Polycarp was 86 years old. They brought him before the Roman proconsul, and the proconsul threatened him to be burned at the stake if he did not deny Christ but now listen to what happened. Here's an account of what happened. The proconsul pressed Polycarp to have pity on his old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar, say, away with the atheist. The martyr sternly looked round on the assembled heathen, groaned, looking up to heaven said, "Away with the atheists." Swear then now, said the proconsul, and I will let you go. Revile Christ. And then Polycarp made the memorable answer. Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has never done me wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? So he refused. And he was tied to a stake. And they set the pyre on fire, and the flames began to grow. But then all of a sudden, wind came and blew the flames away from him, so that while he was burned, he was not consumed. Ultimately, he suffered quite a bit. And eventually, he was stabbed to death by the Roman executioner. But everyone there, everyone who witnessed his death, realized the courage that he had in the face of death. They saw here was a man who was courageous. There's something about this man. There's something about the way that he lives, even the way that he dies. Now, persecution is a terrible thing. Uh, You see that in this story, and, of course, you've heard of other stories as well. It's a terrible thing. And you think about the situation with Polycarp. Here's a man that's just like you and I. Uh, He didn't want to die. I mean, some of the martyrs in the early church, they actually wanted to die. It was not Polycarp. He did not want to die. Just like you and I, he sought a way to get away from that. But, you know, when the time came, he was willing to die. He was willing to die so that he would not deny Jesus. Why? Why? You know, I think the answer that we have to give is that he was willing to die rather than deny Jesus because he feared God more than he feared man. And that's really what our passage teaches us this morning, that it is what God wants for everyone who follows Jesus, that we would fear God more than we'd fear man, that we would live a life that's marked by courage, marked by godliness, And should the time come that we face persecution, that we would be marked by that same kind of confidence and courage in the face of that persecution because we fear God rather than fearing man. We're going to see that as we study this passage together. Now, Matthew chapter 10, you guys have been working through Matthew. Isn't Matthew a great gospel? Uh, it is wonderful, just the way he weaves the Old Testament in with the New Testament, and you see who Christ is Jesus, he is the Messiah, all of the things of the Old Testament that he brings together. And I love I love Matthew because in Matthew there are five separate sections of Jesus' teaching where you hear the wisdom of God on display as Christ is teaching his followers what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow him. And Matthew 10 is one of those sections where the Lord Jesus has taken his disciples and he's now teaching them. He's preparing them. And as you know, because you've been working through this chapter, he's preparing them for something of their first mission trip. He's sending them out to Galilee. They're going to go around. They're going to proclaim the gospel. And so he wants to give them principles for ministry. And so in Matthew 10, he's giving them principles for ministry as they go, as they do that work. But he's also, you'll see, and you see in this passage in particular that we're studying this morning, he's also preparing them for persecution. Uh, He's letting them know. He's done that early in the chapter. He's doing it once again. He's letting them know persecution's a reality. But then he's giving them God's wisdom for the way that they are to respond to that persecution, how they're supposed to think about it. And I love that about the Bible. I love that about God's Word because it teaches us truth, the truth that we need to live well. God never abandons us. He never leaves us on our own so that we don't know how to follow Him He teaches us how to follow him, and this is such a great example of this. I love this section, verse 26 and 33, because here we see the Lord Jesus' heart here you see that he's a good shepherd. Again, he's dealing with, with us. He knows that we're weak, and he knows that we're fearful. And just as we go through this, listen to the way he reasons with us about the goodness of God and about the fact that we can trust God. And so I find this passage in particular in this section of Matthew 10 to be such a sweet section for us. It is a passage that can help us stand, brothers and sisters. My guess is some of you in here this morning look around at our culture and you see the darkening, and you are tempted to be afraid. Well, let me just say, by God's grace, you have everything you need. And the Holy Spirit of God who lives within you and the truth of God you have in your hands, God will see you through anything that comes, and he will bring you safely home so you can be confident and you can trust him. And part of what we'll do this morning as we look at this passage is we will learn four reasons why we should not fear persecution in particular, four reasons why we shouldn't fear persecution. First reason we'll see in verse 26 to 27, so if you're taking notes, this will perhaps help you follow along. The first point we'll see, the first reason we'll see is that Christians will be vindicated by God. Why shouldn't Christians fear persecution? They will be vindicated by God. Second, a second reason, God is greater than man. We'll see that when we look at verse 28. A third reason, God watches over His children. We'll see that when we look at verse 29 and 31. And then a fourth reason, loyalty to Jesus is rewarded. And we'll see that when we look at verse 32 and 33. Look at the the first point then, the first reason, they will be vindicated by God. Look again at your copy of God's word. And look at verse 26 and 27 with me. Here's what the Lord Jesus says. He says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetop. So here's this initial command, initial command, the first part of verse 26. So have no fear of them. Who are, who's to the them? Well, if you look through the the context of this chapter, you understand that them are the, it's the synagogues, it's the the rulers, it's the kings before whom they would be brought so that they could give a testimony to Jesus. Have no fear of those who will persecute you is the idea. That's to them. It's those authorities that you may be brought in front of for the sake of giving testimony, but you should not be afraid. Why should you not be afraid? Look at the second part of verse 26. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. So the Lord Jesus is saying that there's coming a day of revelation when everything is going to be made plain, everything is going to be seen. So the religious authorities that put the Lord Jesus to death, you know, they conspired against Jesus in secret. Uh, They went aside to try to figure out how they could kill this upstart rabbi. But Jesus is saying the day is going to come when what they did in the dark, it's going to be seen. Uh, Jesus is saying that those who have conspired against Christians throughout history, those who conspire against Christians even in our own day will one day be exposed. What they have done will be made known. In other words, there will be no secrets on the day of judgment. It's a good thing for us to keep in mind. It will help us to walk in holiness, brothers and sisters. There will be no secrets on the day of judgment. And on that day, it's going to be very clear who belongs to Jesus and who doesn't belong to Jesus. That's going to be clear for all to see. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying that Christians might be persecuted. They might be schemed against. They might be abused. But ultimately, on the day when it really matters, they're going to be vindicated. They're going to be shown to be the ones who stood with the true king, King Jesus. You know, the Lord Jesus encouraged the church in Philadelphia with the same reality. If you think about uh, Revelation chapter 3, we're working our way through Revelation as a church. Revelation chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Here's what the Lord Jesus says to Philadelphia. Here's how he encourages them. He says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. He's saying, friends, loved ones, do not be afraid, because you will be vindicated for following me. So don't be afraid. That's part of what he wants them to do. But did you notice in verse 27 that that's not all he wanted them to do? Uh, Positively, Jesus wanted his disciples to boldly speak up for Christ, uh, to boldly declare the truth of God's word. Look at what he says in verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetop. So again, Jesus has been preparing his disciples at times that looked like taking them aside and, and teaching them directly things that they needed to learn. But now the time had come in their ministry where they're going to go out among the people of Galilee and they're going to be proclaiming openly and boldly all the truth that Jesus had given them in the dark, as it were, or in secret. And then, of course, the day would come... When they would receive the Great Commission, and the Great Commission, something we thought about and prayed this morning as we're praying for the Waite family, is that we are to take the gospel to all nations. So they're going to go, and they're going to preach, and what they're going to do is they're going to boldly before the world declare the truth of God like a man standing on the roof of his house yelling out to his neighbors the truth. That's the picture as Christians, we know that God wants us to boldly speak God's Word in our day as well. Uh, We cannot be silent. That's not the command we've been given. The command we've been given is to make disciples, to preach the gospel. We must speak forth words of life because we are surrounded by people that are perishing, and they need to hear about Jesus. He wants us to Speak boldly in our day. Let me give you two applications that will help us do that. One, we need to realize that fear will keep us from speaking boldly. Right? That makes sense. Fear will keep us from speaking boldly. That's really the connection between verse 26 and 27. So, why does Jesus front load the command to speak boldly in verse 27 with the command not to be afraid? Well, it makes perfect sense. Because if we are afraid, we're going to be tempted not to speak boldly, but instead we're going to quiet, hush up, not say anything. For instance, how many times have you and I sensed that the Lord wanted us to share the gospel with someone, but then fear stepped in, and instead of speaking up, we just, we made reasons and excuses why now wasn't a good time? or why we didn't know them as well as we should have, or how it might hurt a relationship, or how it would be wiser for us to wait till later. That's what happens, right? Fear steps in, and it keeps us from speaking up. You know that those who are opposed to Christianity in our day, you know that they know that principle as well. They know that fear and intimidation tactics keep people from speaking up, and so they use them. They use things like lawsuits. Uh, They use things like the media to make people Be afraid of speaking up for biblical truth. We see that. You know, truths like the sanctity of life, uh, truths like the, the biblical definition of marriage or the biblical understanding of sexuality, most especially the gospel itself. And as the country gets darker, we pray that it won't. But if it does, as it does, what will happen is we'll see more and more of that kind of intimidation. But here the Lord Jesus is speaking to us ahead of time. And what's he saying? He's saying, do not be afraid. Do speak up. You don't have to be afraid. You can speak up. Why? Because if the truth is going to emerge at the end, it's right and good for us to go ahead and proclaim the truth now. The truth that's going to be seen on the day of judgment, it is our responsibility to speak into the lives of the people that the Lord Jesus brings before us so that they might know him. So even though we might feel intimidated, I'm not sure that I have ever shared the gospel with someone who, without fearing, uh, feeling a little afraid. Uh, I think every time I felt a little bit of this intimidation or sometimes a great deal of intimidation. But here's the thing. Our friends need to hear the gospel. Our lost family members, they need to hear the gospel. Our neighbors... They need to hear the gospel. We need to be looking for opportunities to share with those around us. At the same time, we cannot be silent as it relates to things that are good for human flourishing. We need to be crystal clear on what marriage is. And we need to declare what marriage is. We need to be crystal clear on on, uh, how the Bible speaks about gender and sexuality. And we need to be willing to speak up and say those things. Our churches need to be uh, willing to speak up in our day. There's a second application we see here. We need to remember that our responsibility is to speak God's message and not our own. Look again at verse 26 and 27. It's very clear that Jesus wants us to speak up. But notice what he wants us to say. Notice what he wants his disciples to say. He says, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. So we are followers of Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, what's our responsibility? Well, we are to say what he has told us. In other words, people don't need our clever ideas. But they do need Jesus. They do need the truth of God's Word. They do need us to be willing to say what He has said. So a a speculative theology has no place in the church. Satan loves that. Satan loves it when pastors become a little unsure about whether or not the Bible is trustworthy. Because then instead of teaching people God's Word with confidence, they start speculating about things. Or they start asking open-ended questions. And they start confusing people and they start talking about things that are happening in the newspaper, or how to have a prosperous life, or how to be happy, or how to live as if this world is all that there is. But the faithful man of God is the one who will proclaim what the Lord has said, and he'll preach it, and he'll preach it boldly, and he'll preach it unapologetically, because the authority doesn't reside with him. The authority resides with Christ. Let me give a Word to the elders of PBC. Thank you for the ministry you have in this congregation. It's a weighty ministry. It's such a vital and important ministry that you're doing. In a special way, speaking God's word is the ministry that God has entrusted to you as pastors of this church. And so there's a word for you here. As an elder, there will be times when you will feel pressured not to say what you should say uh, because you're concerned about how the person will respond. Well, in those moments, You must be willing to speak what the Lord would have you speak, even if it makes someone angry. At the same time, as a a pastor, your responsibility is to speak what God has said and not what you think. Does that make sense? What's most essential is what the Lord has said. So there may be a time when you want people to behave a particular way, but it's not what the Bible has said. It's just what you would like them to do. Well, in that moment, you must be willing not to speak as if you have authority for that, because we don't. We have authority for what the Bible has said. So you must speak what God has said, and you must speak only what God has said to the people of God. When you look at verse 26 and 27, you see that Christians should not fear persecution, but instead they should speak God's word boldly because they will be vindicated on the last day. There's a second reason why we have no need to be afraid of persecution. A second reason, look at verse 28. Twenty-eight, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, Now, as you look at verse 28, it strikes me that there's nothing particularly difficult about understanding what the Lord Jesus is saying here. But what he is saying is absolutely profound. He says, do not... Fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. In other words, what does the Lord Jesus do? He sums up the very worst of what man can do to us. He, tells us. he tells us about it openly. What's the very worst that man can do? Those who persecute Christians can deprive us of our liberty, our possessions, even our lives. But do you notice that's all they can do? They can't do anything beyond that. Men are powerless to harm the soul. They can't harm us where it matters. And so in light of that, Jesus directs the eyes of his disciples elsewhere to the one that they should fear. So look at the second part of verse 28. Rather fear, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, some people have looked at those words, and they they thought that he's talking about Satan. They hear hell, and they think, well, Satan, you know, he's over hell, right? Surely that's it. That's not what Jesus is saying. You see, hell is not the domain of Satan. The Bible teaches very clearly that the day is coming when Satan himself is going to be cast into the lake of fire, and he will be there forever and ever and ever. Ultimately, hell is under the rule of God. Hell is where God is present in the fullness of his wrath against those who have rejected him and rebelled against him, and lived as if they were the God of their own life. It's a place of punishment, and notice that it's a place of serious punishment. He says, fear the one that can destroy both body and soul in hell. So, if that's the case, God's the one he's referring to, we should fear God rather than man. So, you notice the, the, the question before us is not, You know, should we fear someone or should we not fear someone? That's not the question. The question is, whom should we fear? Should we fear God or should we fear man? And obviously the answer is, well, we should fear man. At the same time, excuse me, we should fear God. At the same time, when we say, when we talk about the fear of God, we are not talking about like a craven, kind of servile fear, as if we're afraid of a tyrant. No, we, we know that God is in Christ our Father, But we are talking about an awe and a respect and a reverence. Uh, The the kind of desire we would have to bring a smile to God's face. And the last thing we'd want to do is live in a way that would bring a a frown to his face. That's, That's what we want to have. We want the kind of fear that Solomon referred to in Proverbs 9 verse 10. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you notice, brothers and sisters, how important our theology is? How important our understanding of who God is really is for the way that we live? Think about it. If your understanding of God is that He is small, uh, He's limited, or maybe He's not concerned about you, well, when threats and intimidation from men come into your life, what are you going to do? You're going to be afraid. But when you know who God is... And, and you have measured, as it were, his immensity, you understand his worth, his glory. If, you, if we truly know God, then the threats of men are going to fall to the ground because we realize that the worst man can do is harm the body. But God is sovereign. God is in charge. There's a story told about Hugh Latimer. He was a 16th century English martyr. On one occasion, he gave a sermon before King Henry VIII, and he reported that during the sermon, he said to himself out loud, Latimer, Latimer, remember the king is here. Be careful what you say. And then he said this to himself. He said, Latimer, Latimer, remember that the king of kings is here. Be careful what you do not say. Now, that's bold. And it really illustrates very well for us what Jesus is saying. We're not to fear man who can only kill the body. We are to fear God. We're to reverence God. There's another picture of this in the Old Testament in the life of Elisha. Elisha and his servant. you remember this. The king of Syria is upset because Elisha keeps telling the king of Israel what he's doing. And so he decides he's going to come and kill Elisha. And he gathers around the place where Elisha is with his army. And Elisha's servant comes out and he's terrified. And he says, well, what should we do? Well, he didn't have the full perspective, didn't he? He was looking at man and what man could do. But Elisha had the full perspective because looking around the mountains, he saw chariots of fire, the army of God. And he said to his servant, don't be afraid because those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha's servant could only see the power of man, but Elisha himself could see the power of God. And as a result, he was not afraid. And he was willing to continue to serve the Lord. That is precisely what the Lord is calling us to do this morning. He's calling for us to realize that he is. And that he is here. And that he's for us in Christ. And so we don't have to be afraid of the threats of men. Because God is greater than that. It's, this is what's so marvelous about the Bible. Do you notice that the Bible never just tells us nice and easy things? it speaks to us truthfully. It it treats us like mature adults. It says, consider what man can do. What can man do? Man can kill you. That's real. But do you notice that the Bible then continues to press through that? It says, okay, you see what man can do, right? That's true. They can kill you. But now consider what God can do. Consider His might consider his power, consider that he's sovereign, consider that he's on the throne, and understand that you have no reason to be afraid of man. The one you should fear, the one you should reverence is God himself. Brothers and sisters, we must labor to think great thoughts of God. If you find theology boring, let me assure you, it is worth it to your soul. To press in to the Bible and to good books that will give you a full-orbed view of who the God you serve is. It will help you get to heaven more comfortably. You're going to go to heaven through Jesus. Praise God. The question is, how comfortably will you get there? Will you be anxious all the way to heaven? Or will you know who God is so you can put your trust in Him? And will you find rest in Him? And will you walk with Him all the way to heaven? I pray that you will. I pray that you will know this God. I cannot promise, looking at our own nation, that you will not suffer for following Jesus. Uh, if you're a high official and you stand up for a biblical sexuality, you can lose your position. If you're a florist who refuses to celebrate a gay marriage, you can lose everything you own. The day may come when churches lose their tax-exempt status because we're unwilling to toe the, the acceptable line of speech. Hate speech laws may someday be passed, and pastors themselves may be drug off to jail. Now, even though all of that pales in comparison with what our brothers and sisters in places like Afghanistan and Nigeria are experiencing even this morning, it's still weighty. And we need to consider, this is what man can do, but determine this morning that God is greater and determine that you're gonna fear God rather than man. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. He said, those who still are afraid of men have no fear of God, and those who have fear of God have ceased to be afraid of men. I don't wanna move from this passage, though, without saying something to you if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus. Look at the way that Jesus speaks of God here. He says that God is the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And that word destroy does not mean go out of existence. It speaks of ruin. It speaks of total and complete ruin. And the picture is is that God is the one who will one day judge all of those who have rejected him and have rejected the Savior, Jesus, and there will be a great day of judgment of the righteous and of the unrighteous. And those who have trusted in Jesus, they will live with him in a new heaven and a new earth forever and ever. But those who have rejected him, they will face the judgment of God. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And the picture that the Bible gives of this is so stark. That, that word, that, the ruin of the soul is the idea. And it means endless ages of suffering. Millennia after millennia, after millennia, of being separated from all that is good. Those are the stakes the Bible puts before us. The Bible says, consider what it means to reject God. Understand the weight of that. But you know, the Bible also says this, and here's the good news, the good news of the gospel. The Bible says this, this God who will one day judge those who have rejected him, This same God is the one who has sent the Savior. Jesus Christ, eternal Son of God, came into this world. He lived a perfect life, the kind of life you and I should have lived, but we failed to live. And then he laid down his life on the cross as a sacrifice for sinners like you and I. And on the cross, he bore himself the wrath of God against the sins of all who would turn from their sins and trust in him. He rose from the dead, and now this gracious God, he's speaking to you this morning. He's saying, if you will turn from living for yourself... And if you'll turn away from pursuing sin, and you will instead put your trust in Jesus, even today, he will grant you life, eternal life. He will make you righteous in Christ. He'll treat you just as if you lived Jesus's perfect life. He will adopt you as his son or daughter. You will belong to him forever and ever. There's no better news than you'll ever hear than that that we deserve God's judgment, but God is so good and loving and gracious that he offers salvation this morning. My prayer for you is that today would be the day that you'd put your trust in him, that you'd find life in Christ. Now, if you want to talk with someone about that, I know that Hobson, Mike, others around would love to talk with you about what Jesus has done for them. Uh, Open the Bible with you and study it with you and help you understand that in Jesus you can find life. And we pray that you'll find life this morning. There's a third reason why we should not fear persecution in this passage. God watches over His children. So look at verse 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You know, again, the teaching here. It's it's not that it's difficult to understand. But what he says is so profound because now he's speaking about the love of God for his children. You know, he gives this comparison here between sparrows and, and the disciples. And, and he says, aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? That word penny there it speaks of maybe one-sixteenth of a day's wage. It's just not much. And you get two sparrows for that. And yet God is such a, a glorious God that he knows that when any sparrow falls to the ground, he's aware And he's concerned, and he knows. And then the comparison is this. Jesus turns to his disciples, and he says, aren't you worth many sparrows? Uh, The idea is, aren't you so precious to God? Doesn't he care for you? Doesn't he watch over you? Won't he provide for you? He's numbered the hairs on your head. I've never counted, but I understand that the average head has about 100,000 to 200,000 hairs. And the idea is that God knows each and every one. And the point is obvious, that God cares for His children, that He cares for us. And when you think that the context of this passage is persecution, it means that God cares for His children when they're suffering, that He's watching over them even when they face danger, that God's eyes, the eyes that are on the sparrow are also on the The child, his child, his son or his daughter, and if if he's concerned about the spirit falling to the ground, how much more is he concerned about his child? And he's not going to permit anything into our lives, but what has been sifted through his fingers that he's permitting into our lives for the sake of helping us become like Jesus. It's how good our God is. He is the one that sovereignly determines what enters our lives, what suffering we experience, even the persecution we face. Why? Because he cares for us. And here's the principle we should keep in mind. Anything that God permits into our lives, He permits into our lives because He loves us. Because He's good. Because He's at work in that difficult situation to help us grow and to bring glory to Himself. So what should we do? What sh- how should we respond? We shouldn't fear, but we should trust. We should trust Him. If we really grasp that the Father loves us like this, that He's concerned about us like this, we'd never fear again. Instead, we'd be marked by confidence and by trust. It would be a trust like Isaac's trust when, when his father Abraham laid him on the altar. And even though Isaac's a grown man, he trusts his father. It's, it's a trust like Job when Job is losing everything. And he says, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Most especially, it's a trust like Jesus. When he's on the cross, he's experiencing the wrath of God. It's darkness all around. What does he say? Into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. It's that kind of trust that we're called to this morning. And the reason why it makes sense for us to trust that way is because our God is who He is, because He's a good Father, and He loves us, and He cares for us. Well, the application for us this morning is to rejoice in the care of our Heavenly Father. You know, if we don't believe this, if we think that God actually doesn't care, it will impact us. We will kind of pull back from Him, We won't spend time with Him and His Word. But if we realize that He loves us like this, that He's committed to us like this, it will change the way we live, and we're going to want to run to this God. We're going to want to spend time with this God. We're going to live life just walking side by side with Him. And what a privilege. What a privilege. So let's rejoice in the goodness of our God this morning because He cares for us. And so we don't need to fear even if we face persecution. There's a fourth and final reason this morning that we see in this passage. Loyalty to Jesus is rewarded. Look at verse 32 and 33. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, looking at these verses, Jesus is making one of the most sobering claims in the Bible. He's saying something very significant about who he is. He says that those who acknowledge him before men, he is going to acknowledge before God the Father. But those who deny him before men, well, he will deny them before God the Father. And that word acknowledge there refers to a formal testimony. You know, kind of like before a court. And remember that Jesus had said that they were going to be dragged before synagogues and courts and kings. And they were going to have to give a testimony. That's what he's talking about. That's the context you see in Matthew 10. Jesus had warned them of this. And when that happened, they were to acknowledge Christ. They were to proclaim the gospel. They were to say that I belong to Jesus. That I side with Christ. That's what it looks like to acknowledge him. But, of course, Jesus is saying that he's either going to acknowledge or deny a person before his Father in heaven. And, again, we are talking about the great day of judgment, this day which is to come when we will stand before God. Who is Jesus? Well, friend, if your understanding of Jesus is that he's a a nice person that just happened to get on the bad side of Rome, uh, that doesn't make sense of this. Uh, If you think he's a great moral teacher who teaches us how to be kind people, Jesus is saying more than that here. What's he saying here? Jesus is saying he's the one that determines the eternal destiny of every man or woman who will ever live. Now, this is a claim that God makes because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. What this means is that the most important questions in life are not "Hmm, what am I going to be when I grow up? Or where am I going to go to college? Or who am I going to marry? Or should I go for that promotion at work? Or what am I going to do when I retire? Those are fine questions to ask, but they're not the most important question. The most important question is, who is Jesus? Have I considered the claims of this one who speaks this way? Have I acknowledged him before men? Am I following the only one that can save my never-dying soul? Those are the questions that we must answer. And may God help us answer them rightly. Well, friend, if we could just take some time and and go through and talk with, with those that have been walking with Jesus for 30, 40, 50, perhaps even 60 years and say, do you regret it? Not one would say yes. So if you've never taken the time to investigate who Jesus is, we'd encourage you to do that today. Look into who this wondrous person is. How does this help us combat the fear of persecution? Well, all persecution is ultimately aimed at Jesus. And the goal of persecution is to keep us from talking about Jesus, is to make us quiet. But Jesus here, he's giving us this promise. Those who acknowledge him, he's going to acknowledge before the Father. Those who deny him, he's going to deny before the Father. What he's doing is he's strengthening us to acknowledge him. He's reminding us of how important it is that we would speak up and say, I belong to Jesus. And he can help us. He can give us the strength to do that. So persecution is a stark reality in this life, right? It is a reality. Remember, the Bible says that all who will live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will suffer persecution. It promises us that ahead of time. But I trust that we've seen, I pray that we've seen this morning, that in God's Word, we have every resource we need to face whatever the Lord permits into our lives with trust and with quietness of soul and with confidence. Four truths that we've seen this morning. Those who follow Jesus will be vindicated by God. God is greater than man. God watches over His children. And loyalty to Jesus is rewarded. My brothers and sisters, may God help us to embrace these truths and then live in light of them, even in this coming week. And let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths that give us confidence in a world that seems dark, a world that is dark. Lord, we praise you that you have given us everything we need in your word and by your spirit to live for you. And I pray for these precious saints. I ask, Lord God, that you would press this word into their hearts by your spirit, uh, that the truth of your word would remain and would grow and produce good fruit, Uh, that you'd help all of us to be marked by confidence and faith, and that you would get glory for our lives. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.